You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church. Hey, good morning, friends. Are you as thankful as I am that Rob never just gives announcements? Oh, yeah. Can we thank him? Thank our brother. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you. Hey, welcome. We are in the second and final week of a very short series on discernment. And so last week we defined what spiritual discernment is and we covered some basics of spiritual discernment. Let's look at the definition one more time and refresh our memories. Spiritual discernment is recognizing the voice and pattern of God's direction in our lives. It's recognizing that he's with us and he cares and he has a plan for us. Here's some dynamics of it that we covered a week ago. This is a practice. Spiritual discernment is a practice of taking time to pay attention to God, listen to him, not rushing decisions. It's seeking to align our head and our heart with God's will. It's asking for help. Most of last week's sermon was like, Jesus says, ask, let's ask. Jesus is like, the Father wants to give you good gifts. Let's ask. He has wisdom and the Holy Spirit to offer and many other things. So let's be a people that asks, just like we were led to pray. Let's ask. Why wouldn't we ask a good and loving God? It's attending to the desires God has placed inside of us and also to the other things that are inside of us, like our addictions, our predilections, our prejudices, our unbelief, and so on, in order to understand how these play in decision-making. We're really trying to pay attention to God and ourself and bring this before him and get some help. Now, here's what I cannot promise you. I cannot promise you that you'll leave the sermon saying, now I know everything I should do with my next 30 years. Okay, that would be too much for me. But there's help. There's help in the scriptures. There's some help that we have for today. Today, I've got three ways. Uh, This was originally going to be a three-part sermon, but we made it a two-part sermon. So I'm giving you the next three most important things about the sermon, and the rest you'll figure out if you ever need it. The promise of presence, the power of community, and the principle of freedom. So if you're note-takers, this is where you start, okay? The three Ps, very carefully crafted for you. Promise of presence, the power of community, and the principle of freedom, right? Now, maybe you feel, like many do, that your future is so hard to perceive that making all of the big decisions in your life, you're like, I might as well roll dice because I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. I don't ever get like a word from the Lord the way that I need to. I might as well just try luck or chance. Some of us probably feel that level of frustration. And many people feel very alone, very isolated in decision-making. And we want to address those today. Okay, we want to give some hope for that. So let's read from Scripture, and then we'll learn together, and then we'll worship some more, and I trust God will do the work he needs to do in you and me. Amen? The book of Genesis, chapter 28. Genesis 28, 10 through 16, has a story about Jacob, one of the patriarchs from way back in history. When our reading begins, Jacob has just done something pretty awful. He has stolen the blessing and birthright from his brother, and he's run away, so he's on the lamb. And he's running away 
having tricked his family, deceived them, hurt his father with his mom's help, you think this is a guy that needs some discernment. And this is where we pick up the story. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and east, north and south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised to you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So let's talk about the promise of God's presence, shall we? Don't you wish that someone would promise you promises like the ones that God promised to Jacob? Don't you wish that God would come to you, that you'd have a dream too? You'd shake your wife awake in, in the middle of the night and be like, you'll never believe what just happened. God told me he'll give me the land on which I am laying. And she'll just be like, you're laying on my blankets, so move over, right? Or you might hear that promise and you would think, but we already own our home. What does this mean? Here's one of the things about reading the Bible, okay? Not everything God said to everybody is for you. The promise to you probably doesn't have anything to do with land, but some of these promises are yours. How do you know which ones? Well, there's a whole bunch of other scriptures that help you see which ones. Like God has said, the promise of his presence, I will be with you, and this promise is for you. And if you had a dream and you woke up and you shook your spouse awake, you said, honey, 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 I had a dream in which the Lord was saying like, Remember the song, the blessing. I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you. I actually feel that way about you. If you woke your, your spouse up and you said that and you were like, I've never believed it this way before, but I just feel that in this dream he was telling me that he is faithful to his promises in Scripture. Like he's not kidding. He really loves us. And you lived through that day and maybe by God's grace, the next few days, and maybe for a long time, and maybe for decades, with this feeling being renewed in you and saturating your life, that he actually sees you and he loves you, that he cares for you, it would change everything. Like this awareness would change everything. You'd go about all the routine things of life, your, you know, your job and dropping the kids off at school and cooking, and if you just had a little bit more of this awareness than you do now, that he loves you, and that he sees you, and that he's with you. Oh, it would transform everything. So look at these promises. I'm with you always. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, this is for you. 
Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. And one of my favorites in Philippians 4 says, The Lord is near. I'm going to read a little bit more, but just stop on that for a second. The Lord is near. I often use just those words as a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do it with me today. First service did okay. You guys are better. It's a need. So let's pray it together like three times in a row out loud. You ready? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Oh, beautiful. Let's do it one more time. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. These words, promises of God, can fill your life. You know, we choose to give our attention to many things. Let's give our attention to this. Let's pay attention to this. Listen to the longer passage from Philippians. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Remember last week, Jesus, we talked about Jesus' don't be anxious, and often that makes us more so. Jesus and Paul are both trying to help us. Not commanding you to never feel anxiety, but giving you help to address it. The Lord is near. He says, think about that. It will help. It's a balm for the soul. Uh, In every situation, he says, by prayer and with petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Remember, ask, seek, and knock. It's like Paul knew Jesus or something. And the grace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Didn't we say discernment is trying to line our hearts and our minds up together in the will of God? This passage is just nailing it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. God's like, I know what you think about. I know what's on your mind. I know that you keep going back to that same news channel that always riles you up and makes you a pain to be around. Why don't you think about something admirable? He's like, think about how much I love you. That could change everything. Think about how near I am to you. Spend a little bit less time doing the doom scroll and spend a little bit more time just thinking about, in fact, you have this beautiful excuse. You're a Christian. And as a Christian, you have the right to say, God commanded me to sit and think about him, so I'm not paying attention to this and I'm done with that work project. I've made enough money and we're, we're taking a little break and we're thinking about the presence of God. You're actually allowed to do that. Like, our lives are different, aren't they? They're different than the rat race that everybody else is stuck on. Doesn't have to be that way. Let's just acknowledge that discernment, that the key decisions about life and faith, begin with trusting the Lord and his promises to be near us and to help us. We talked about basics last week, which is know scripture and pray, be in scripture and pray. But, But this is also true. Like, let's trust him that he loves you. If you walk away with nothing else from this sermon, you never learn why Josh had dice on the stage. You're like, I didn't, I didn't get that part. They're, they're big foam dice. I don't know what that has to do with the Bible. They're not fuzzy dice, by the way. Don't worry. They're not weird. They're just, they're going to help us. You walk away from the sermon. You're like, "I, I never knew why he had that stuff up there. Walk away with this. This is it. Okay. Get this. An injection of good news. God desires for you to trust that he's near and that he loves you and wants to help you.
that can change your life. Now, Jacob had a moment of clarity. Jacob wakes up off of the rock, which was surely not as comfortable as like Hotel 8. No one left the light on for him. And he said, the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. Do you notice what he says? It wasn't God wasn't in his life or his world. It's just, I didn't see it. Growing in discernment is to grow in one's awareness of God and his presence and his promises. It's to realize that he's already involved in everything. This is what we teach doctrinally, right? God's everywhere. He's involved in everything. But feeling and believing it is a little different. Last week, when we talked about the basics of knowing scripture, we said, let's memorize some scripture and get it in our hearts so that we'll have something to draw from instead of having nothing to draw from. And Laura Schwartz challenged us to begin memorizing Romans 3, 23 and 24. So I'm going to put them on the screen. And if you already did some of this work, it's great. And if not, here it is. And if you want to start today, I think a few packets were left as you leave the doors. They were on little tables. And we'll have it on our website for you soon. But let's read this scripture and think about why would you memorize this? Hey, why would you memorize this? Let's read it out loud together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, I had, I had to make first service do it twice. You guys got it. You, you can go and tell them all the wonderful things I've said about you. Now, we don't memorize scripture to earn credit with the Lord, right? He doesn't love you more because you memorize scripture. He already loves you more than anybody else could ever imagine loving you. But by hiding his word in our hearts, there's benefits. Imagine some of the benefits if you were to memorize Romans 3 and 23 and 24 and think about that each day for a while instead of some of the other things that take your mind away from God. Okay. So imagine some of the benefits. You might find that you have lower judgment than you used to. Why would you be less judgmental? Because as this worked its way into your heart, not just a teaching, but a belief, a reality, all have sinned. And you begin to see that everyone is alike in the same boat in this world, hurting, broken, full of sin, needing a savior. And it would make you a little less judgmental also, it would raise your compassion because what happens when you realize I'm a sinner in need of grace and so are you, you can have compassion for others. It would raise your worship because you would see we all fall short of the glory of God. He's so great. You'd start to think about that. You'd start to think about, wow, what would it be like to be the perfect God, the God who helps and sees? You'd worship him. You'd You'd be more prone to turn to God when you needed help, more settled in yourself, have greater peace and a sense of freedom, real relationship with God, a sense of purpose. And you could probably think of a dozen other things that just meditating on these words would remind you of truths that you really need. They're the fuel of your life. These are more important to your life than getting a healthy breakfast. They're certainly more important than catching up on current events. These are the kind of things that they don't just change what you do. They change the way you do everything. Growth involves enjoying him and something that we call attending to God. I've used the phrase attending to God a couple of times. It really just means turning our minds and our hearts toward him regularly through the day. You might set your alarm to do this. Now, in Protestantism, sometimes the practice 
of setting a clock to turn your mind to God is wrongly maligned and judged as being uh, some kind of work that people think they need to do. Okay, and so people will hear that like monks and nuns get up at six in the morning, nine in the morning, and at noon they stop work to pray, and at three they pray, and at six they pray, and at midnight, and they get up at three in the morning and pray. And people malign it. People say things like, well, we don't have to do all that to please God. Of course not. It was never about doing that to please God. It was about refocusing one's attention on God. It was about being in the place with Jacob where you wake up and you go, oh, once again, I forgot he was here. And you might still have some questions like these. Um, you're probably still asking, how can I know God's plan for my life? This is all very nice, but I still want to know his plan. What about when people tell me that God told me this? Why doesn't God ever tell me anything? What about when I feel alone in a big decision? And what do I do about that? How can we have confidence in discerning if what I think to do is from the Lord or if it's from some other influence? I'm scared of being influenced by the wrong things. And so the rest of the sermon is about two principles that God's given us to help with that. The first one is the power of community, and the second one is the principle of freedom. I want you to see in Scripture some vignettes now. Some, some little short excerpts of stories that will help us see the way that community and freedom change our perspective on this, okay? So let's look. Compare these stories. The story of Gideon from Judges chapter 6. Does anybody know the story of Gideon? Anybody ever heard about this guy? I'll give you enough background information that if you have it, you'll know enough for today. This was a time in Israel when they were oppressed by a foreign nation that was stealing all their food. They would come in and they'd raise all the crops and take it all away and leave the Israelites with almost nothing. It was very oppressive, and they needed help. And God sends his angel to this little nobody named Gideon, who was from a tribe that wasn't very well known, and says to him, uh, you are a mighty warrior for the Lord. And Gideon goes, you got the wrong address. <laughs> not me. And the angel is insistent. No, you will deliver God's people, and it's going to happen like God said. And Gideon's like, if that's true, give me a sign. Like, give me a miraculous sign that this was a word from God. And he brings some food out, and God gives a miraculous sign. And Gideon is so convinced by that that he even says in this chapter, this is the word of the Lord. He's like, he's like it's been proven. Okay, so Here's, you need to know two things about Gideon. One is that the New Testament will call him a hero of the faith. So don't lose sight of that. The New Testament calls him a hero of the faith. Everything else I'm going to tell you about Gideon, you're not going to love. Okay? And I don't either. Gideon, uh, when the armies come, so, so okay, Gideon gets the sign, the armies come, they're going to take all the food. When Gideon hears the armies are right there at their border, this is what happens. He goes, he said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And this is my wool fleece, okay? Yours might be like it, this one is mine. I got this from our local community provider, Amazon.com. And I know some of you probably have sheep and could have probably brought me a lot more wool fleece, but I didn't think to ask in time. So this is what we have. And this is real, and it's from a sheep, and this is like what Gideon had. 
And he had some of this around his house and he takes it out and he goes, you know what? God's already given me a sign. God's already confirmed his word. I've already accepted that he confirmed his word. Well, this is what my four-year-old does all the time now. We're like, put on your shoes. He goes, well, and so now I'm starting to get in a habit. We go, put on your shoes. Don't say, well, he goes, well, This is Gideon. He already knows what God says, but he says, look, I'll place this wool fleece on the threshing floor. Because if there's dew on only the fleece in the morning and the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And what happens? In the morning, he goes out, okay? And even though, like, he's kind of waffling here, God does it anyways. Makes this so dripping wet, he fills a bowl with it. And then what does Gideon do? Gideon goes, now I know for sure. No, he goes, ah. <laughs> he goes, today, look at what he says. Don't be angry with me. Why does he say don't be angry with me? Because he knows what he's doing. He knows he's putting God to the test. He's, he's not trusting God. He goes, don't be angry with me. Let me make one more request. This time, this time I'm going to put it on the ground. Let that be dry in the morning and the whole ground be wet. And you know what happens? God does it. God does it. And he didn't need to. I'm kind of surprised God didn't like send enough floodwaters to just like nudge his house a little. But he did it. He, he did what Gideon asked. But God doing what Gideon asked isn't the same thing as Gideon having good discernment. Okay. What he's doing here is really not the most faithful. He's, he's testing God over and over and waffling. And we know that this is not a man who has good discernment because after he goes and wins the war that God told him he would win, he goes to the rest of the Israelites and he goes, give me a piece of gold. And he melts it into a golden shirt that he puts on a post and everybody in his town starts to worship it and it becomes an idol to them and it ruins Gideon's family and his town. And then... It's like the book of Judges isn't done. And then there's just this little note. It's like, and Gideon had 70 sons. And every, everybody at once goes, not from one mama. <laughs> so he's got a lot of women. He's sleeping around a lot. You understand that like, he's a warrior and he's 30 or whatever when God calls him. That's like 30 more years of multiple children a year. He's got an identity problem. And he's got a discernment problem. And we know it because in the end, one of them rises up and kills 68 of his brothers and puts them down. I mean, it's a bitter story. It's a sad story. And yet, and yet, the New Testament will say, here's a man of faith. Oof. So let's not be too hard on him. But Gideon tests God's word. He doesn't ask anybody for help. Do you notice there's no, in the story, there is nothing about going to the judges of Israel. It doesn't say Gideon went to his local priest and said, do you think it would be a good idea for me to test God again after he's already confirmed his sign? He doesn't get together with some family and say, let's have a prayer meeting. He doesn't do any of the things that we call the basics. He never quotes scripture, Right? If he quoted scripture, he might remember what Jesus remembered. When the devil tempted Jesus, he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But Gideon didn't know it because he didn't have scripture hidden in his heart. Or at least it didn't come to mind. Gideon makes a lot of mistakes. 
And God still works through him and is still faithful. But look at this story of apostles in Acts chapter 1, who by Jesus' help and the Holy Spirit are able to do even more because God has shown them more about discernment and how much they need the power of community. Okay, the apostles in Acts chapter 1 also have a critical decision to make. Okay, Judas, one of the twelve, uh, died by suicide after he betrayed Jesus, and Jesus was crucified uh, by the Romans with the Jews' consent. Okay, it's a whole mess. And Judas doesn't recover from it. And now we're at 11 apostles. And Jesus has come to the apostles, and he said, I'm going to come to you and help you through the Spirit, but you need to wait in Jerusalem until I give the word. Go to Jerusalem and hole up there. Uh, do what you think is best there until I send for you. And they do. They go to this room in Jerusalem, and they begin to do things that show they know the basics of discernment. Look at the scripture. They all joined together earnestly in prayer. It couldn't be more different than the Gideon story. How do you make decisions? They're praying earnestly, just like Rob challenged us to do, just like Pastor Steve is always challenging us to do, to pray earnestly all the time, like make excuses to pray. And then in the middle of their prayer, Peter stood up among the believers and he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke. So here's another thing they're doing. They're paying attention to the Spirit and they're reading scripture. They're covering all the bases. Long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. And let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. You know, as Peter's like, look at these scriptures. It almost sounds like they're saying two different things. Let his place be deserted, right? Or let somebody take that place. What are we going to do, guys? We've got scripture. We want the Spirit's help. We're praying. And so Peter suggested this. He goes, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they have some ideas, some spiritual ideas in mind that they're like, if you were going to choose a new apostle, how would you do it? And they're like, well, someone that knows Jesus, someone that can witness to the resurrection that was part of his ministry. These are the spiritual qualifications. Do you notice what they don't say? They're not like he needs to be an excellent preacher. They're not like, let's pick a wealthy guy who can fund a lot of stuff. They're not like, let's pick a great business leader, right? Because they're thinking spiritually discerning terms. Who has God chosen? They don't want to make a mistake by human judgment. Okay, so they put these criteria out, and then they say this. Two men come to their minds who meet the spiritual criteria, and notice we don't know anything else about the men except for that they were with Jesus. And they nominated uh, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. He had an incredibly... Uh, many nicknames, and Matthias. He went by Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. And they take something that they call uh, lots, 
uh, to, oh, sorry, to take over this apostolic ministry. There you go. There we go. And they took something that they call lots, okay? And this would have been like painted stones, like with one side painted and the other side not painted. They didn't have dice like this, but this is what we'll use. And they cast the lots. They go, Holy Spirit, this is in your hands. This, and from now on, this is how we choose pastors. Yeah. Okay. And they go, it clearly fell to Matthias. The Holy Spirit has chosen him. All right. This is crazy. Like this, is this not nuts? So like Gideon's like, should, you know, should I fight a war or not? Let's test God three times. These guys are like, who will be the next apostle to succeed Jesus in ministry and help us spread this around the world? Let's roll some stones. Okay, it is nuts. But think about what they've done. They've done everything they can do by human means. Okay, what are they supposed to do? Like I said earlier, they're supposed to go, Matthias is taller. That's a great attribute for an apostle. Justice, he's funny. That would be really useful to us. They're going to end up making some kind of sinful or broken decision by using human judgment unless they trust God at some point. And so they trust the outcome to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is not like rolling the dice in your life where you're like, flip a coin, see what happens. This is like, they actually trust that God is in control and that they better not make this decision alone. And this is just a footnote, but I don't know why. For some reason, they must not have expected that the Holy Spirit was going to say it out loud. I don't know why. But apparently, they didn't think he was going to be like, Matthias! And they expected to use something else. So this is what they did. They trusted the Spirit. But look, they had Scripture. They prayed. Um, they did it together. They did it together. Gideon asks no one. The apostles do it with about 120 witnesses, all of the believers that there were at that time. And I'll say this to you, maybe you shouldn't roll dice to make your next major life decision, but it might be better than what some of us are doing now. Because some of us think we have this in hand. We think we know which things we need to choose. And I want to ask, have we ever thought about seeking blessings from our community? Like, has it ever occurred to go to elders and actually sit with them and say, your elders of the church, would you pray about this career choice? I don't want to make the decision alone. Wouldn't that be a novel idea? To sit with your community group, to sit with some leaders there, to sit with trusted men, to sit with trusted women, people who know the scriptures and who pray, to pray together, to discern what the Spirit is saying to you. Would it really be so crazy? Could you actually do a lot worse in life? If you were like, I don't know what to do with this career choice, I'm actually going to let the elders help me. Would your life really be that much worse than the things you've decided for yourself? I mean, for me, it would probably be a lot better. But it's not crazy to think about sharing the burden. It's really not. Look at Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Okay, someone is going to speak into your life about the next choices you make. Who do you want it to be? Someone is speaking into there. You know, some influence, some podcast you listen to all the time, and you're not talking to your spouse or the church about your decisions. You're not talking to friends about the decisions. There's no group prayer going on. There's certainly no Holy Spirit dice being thrown. It's just like I'm being formed by this person in a podcast and now I've made my decision and I inform everyone else. 
Come on, we can do more than that. And what counselors do you trust if not the community of the, of the Lord? So here's one more question. If you really believe that this was possible, like that God wanted to help you, that he was near and that his community was his idea, if you really think this is true, what would you do to grow his community? What would you do to improve it? What would you do to keep your godly community, to nurture it? Would you invest more time and money in service? Would you stay with it instead of leaving? This week I was talking to Pastor Steve and he was like, tell them about the greenhouse idea. I was like, okay, the greenhouse idea. And he was like, the greenhouse is like, where do you put baby plants so that they can survive the harsh winter weather and get a good start? It's in a greenhouse where they're nurtured. He goes, where, where should young Christians be? Like they just found Jesus. They just found a community. Like they finally found their people. And then they're like, this is a really good job offer. There's no church there. But he was like, tell them about the greenhouse where people maybe would get the idea to choose community over certain career paths. Like, does it occur to us? Do we, I'm not saying you have to. Just asking, does it occur to us? Do we ever even think about it? To choose that God might want for us to choose people over opportunities. Maybe we don't even think about it, but it could be a game changer. And you don't have to feel like your hands are tied because God gives you freedom. Okay, we're going to end on freedom, and I want you to think about freedom for a minute. A lot of people have the idea that if they make a mistake and they choose the wrong decision at some point in their life, that they're off of God's plan for the rest of their life. Nonsense. This is the God of the universe we're talking about, who knew every day in your book from before any one of them came to be, and you think you're such a big deal that you can make one choice and he can't ever put you back on the center of the road? Like, let's wake up. You can't make a choice that puts you out of his love. You can't make a choice that puts you out of his plan. You can have some hard consequences in life and not experience all his best, but he can always redeem and he gives you some freedom. So think about this. If we aren't making decisions with the scriptures and prayer and attention to the Lord, having freedom really doesn't matter. Okay? In our world, everyone wants freedom. I want autonomy. I want to make my own choice. I certainly won't tell other people. I'll announce my choice. Everyone wants freedom. But if we don't have these basic and growing attributes of discernment, freedom doesn't matter because we're already enslaved to our dark desires and our brokenness and insecurities and other undesirable attributes. Okay, so look at how the order matters a lot. Community and freedom. Not freedom and then community if it fits, but community and then we discover freedom. Paul and his companions lived and worked and did ministry in community. And in Acts chapter 16, there's a great example of how they did this and how they responded to the Spirit of God, how they lived in freedom. Paul and his companions, before the verses that we're about to read here, were traveling, and they were going back and forth, preaching about the kingdom of God and telling people, have you heard about Jesus? And they're telling these guys, they're going to this city, and they're like, that looks like a good place, and they go to that town, and they do ministry. And then one day, look, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So at some point, we don't know how the Holy Spirit did it. He doesn't say how we did it. We just know that at some point, Paul and his companions were like, oh, we're not supposed to be in that region. Let's go this way instead. They're living in freedom. And then they get direction from the Spirit. Okay? But they're not stressed about this. And then they're like, hey, let's go into Mysia. 
let's go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that either. So they ran into another barrier. They're like, oh, the, the Holy Spirit is, what's he doing? This is starting to get real mysterious. What's he going to do? And then they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. He's like, please. Remember, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open. After Paul had seen the vision, what does it say? He got ready at once. Anybody reading the screen? Yeah, when Paul had received the vision, we got ready at once. You notice how these things are, like I told you, they come together, community and freedom. They're going wherever they want in ministry. And then, beautifully, God's like, now you're going here. But until the point where he says, this is your next stop, they just do the things he's already shown them to do, the things they're certain to do. Share the good news, love people, pray for people, work hard, love each other, take communion, baptize folks. They're doing all the things. And then he's like, and now you're going here. And they're ready, and they go as a we. They're like, we will go. We will go. Um, Pastor Steve also says this a lot, so I'm just going to steal all his ideas today. Have you ever heard him say it's easier to steer the car when it's moving? He says it quite a lot. It's like, let's get an idea going, let's try some things, and God will help with the direction. It's easier to steer the car when it's moving. And this is the way Paul lived in freedom. He was like, do you know what we should do? Share the gospel. Do you know what we're not going to do? Sit around and twiddle our thumbs until someday we feel this, you know, inner movement that it's like, that's the person I called for you to save. He's like, let's just go try and God will show us what to do. And here's the thing. There's a myth of certainty that we all get stuck on. The myth of certainty is that at some point, if God really loves me, he'll show me each step to take. I'll know my next 20 years. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't work like that, even for Jesus, even for Paul. But there's a certainty of freedom that we can't know anything about our future. God hasn't shown us, but we can know the one who is ahead of us in that future. We don't always have the map, but we can always have the guide. And we always have the freedom to walk in confidence with him in freedom and in joy. He actually trusts you. He calls you ambassadors for Christ. Okay, he gave you the ministry of reconciliation. He actually trusts you to go about your life making godly decisions. And when he needs to show you something, he'll show you. I want to leave you with a couple of verses from the New Testament. These aren't on the screen. This is just for your ears. Everybody, you can even put your notes down. You can, if you want to close your eyes, but listen to these promises. Listen to how much God trusts you. 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John 8. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, not to indulge the flesh, but to serve one another humbly, in love. The entire law is fulfilled in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. And Ephesians chapter 3, in Jesus and through Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and in confidence. Let's pray. God, our Father, 
loving God who knows our future. Jesus Christ, the Son, who lived like us, dependent on the Spirit's leading. Holy Spirit, with us now. We don't have to invite you into this room, but we do anyways. We don't have to ask for you to come. This is your place, but please be here with us. Would you give and impress on us your presence and the certainty and assurance we have that you see us and you love us? Would you help us to feel so safe in you that we love each other well and ask each other about the deepest direction questions of our lives? And would you, God, give us enjoyment in the freedom which you've given us to go here and there and do the good things that you've shown us in confidence? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together we say, Thanks for listening. Feel free to connect with us on our website at covenantsoilstown.org to watch live on Sunday mornings. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. 